0: This is the housekeeping section of the podcast, and it remains so even though I don't have a house. As you know, this podcast is a paradoxical member of the Agora Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Why Though? A personal journey through my record collection. This is the show that asks that most important of all questions, why is this record in my collection? And is it any good? My name is Benjamin Jacobs, the confused owner of the records and host of the show. This is episode 13, Reptile Rock by Alan and the Alligators. I have no recollection of buying this record, but it must have been at Princeton Record Exchange or something like that. I think I was hoping it was Zydeco music, but it was not Zydeco music. I hope I didn't pay too much for it. There's a part of me that will always want to like jam bands, on a theoretical level. They do a lot of things that I like in music. They incorporate elements from disparate genres, they respect musical skill, and create positive music that makes reality seem less painful than it actually is. If there is another reason for a music to be done, I usually don't want to hear about it. And yet jam bands just piss me the fuck off. The extended, self-congratulatory soloing is the easiest thing to make fun of, So let's do that. The average jam song contains two minutes of lyrics and 19 minutes of soloing, generally consisting of gentle, major key noodling, strongly featuring a guy demonstrating his virtuosic prowess and building to 30 more seconds of repeated lyrics and a transition to the next song. Like cameramen with drones, tech bros with cryptocurrency, or anyone with a vape, we get it, bro. You can noodle. Move on. But really, the soloing thing is kind of a superficial complaint, I suppose. A more direct, personal issue for me, and probably not for you, because you're not me, is that jam bands were very, very popular in the suburban Jewish youth group circles I found myself stuck in in high school. The reasons are straightforward. Most Jews, and particularly Reformed Jews, tend to be left-leaning, meaning the parents of my generation were all probably hippies in the 60s and 70s. That was also a period in which Reform Judaism underwent something, a revival and renaissance, meaning that a lot of 60s and 70s music was very influential for modern Jewish liturgical music. So all these aging hippie Jews get jobs and move to the suburbs and raise their kids on the Beatles and the Grateful Dead and then send all their good little boys and girls to Jew camp to sing songs and bake hawa and talk about working to make the world a better place and then out come the acoustic guitars and oh god they're playing Uncle John's band again and their parents are happy because they're listening to non-threatening major key music that sounds like the stuff they enjoyed when they were young and I die a little inside. As a socially awkward hardcore punk and Celtic music enthusiast, I did not, let's say, fit in very well to this whole situation. But my parents wanted to get me out of the house, and I kind of did too, and everyone was honestly very nice and welcoming, and they were my friends, and some of them were cute girls, so I had to grit my teeth and listen to The General by Dispatch again. But like, whatever, it's fine. I'm over it. It was more than 30 years ago, for fuck's sake. It's fine. I'm fine. It's fine. Adolescent trauma aside, my issues with jam bands on an intellectual level go deeper, and to understand them we must answer the question, what is a jam, and why does it band? There is, for once, not much debate as to who the first jam band was. The first jam band was the Grateful Dead, a genuinely good 1960s psychedelic rock band known for basically just constantly touring for decades. Unlike some of the other entries in the psychedelic rock genre, the Grateful Dead were not particularly dark musically and had a great ear for pop hooks and good songwriting. That said, they still addressed topics like the negative aspects of drug culture, modernity, and humanity itself. They also generally had more uplifting hippie music songs, but I want to point out here that the Dead were concerned about the world and wrote about it, at least at the beginning. How the Dead gave birth to an entire genre is a unique story. Basically, they toured constantly from 1965 until 1995, with breaks only when the band got arrested for possession, to record an occasional album, and sometimes, not even then. Though they did have success as recording artists, they had more financial success from touring, so that was part of this, but only part. Jerry Garcia, their lead singer, guitarist, and songwriter, was a big fan of improvisation, as a genuinely gifted guitarist, he said that picking one note and sticking to it was forever was harder for him than being able to just feel his way through the music. He wanted to play with quick decisions, and that let him make better music, in his opinion. And it was his music, so his opinion's probably right. As such, their live shows were really the key to enjoying and understanding their music. In much the same way that you can't get real Guinness outside of Ireland, you can't get real Grateful Dead without going to a show. And since they played a lot of shows, their fans eventually figured out that they could go to multiple shows in a given tour, which was always. And then eventually, a core group of their fans just lived their lives as nomads, following around the band, catching as many shows as they could, and making money doing odd jobs, selling drugs, you know, whatever. I should just note quickly that a similar career arc applied for the Allman Brothers band, though they cut back on the touring a bit sooner. Those two bands are kind of pivotal in this whole story. The Dead gets more of the credit because they just never stopped until basically Jerry Garcia dropped dead. By the late 80s, the culture that had built up around the touring of the Grateful Dead and the Allman Brothers had become so large that new bands became an inevitability. Probably the first band worthy to claim a major place in this scene was Fish. Coming out of Burlington, Vermont area colleges, Fish is the most Vermont thing to ever Vermont. They began playing extended jam shows around the Northeast, building their fans amongst the existing fan base of the dead, until 1989. In that year, the owners of the Paradise Rock Club in Boston refused to book them, because they had never heard of them. So the band used the profits from their earlier tours to rent the club for the night, and then sold it out. This brought major label attention and let them embark on a career similar to the dead of constant national touring to huge audiences in a party-like atmosphere with occasional breaks for a contractually required album. As a result, what had been the personal style of one or two bands within the psychedelic rock scene was expanded to the point of stereotype and began to represent a full genre unto itself. After Fish, many other bands came out of the scene, including Blues Traveler, The Spin Doctors, The Dave Matthews Band, The String Cheese Incident, Moe, Widespread Panic, Bella Fleck and the Fleck Tones, etc., etc., etc. With this proliferation of acts, the term jam band was coined in the early 90s, and the rest is history as well as my own personal hell. One issue in here is the topic of the medium. As a person who fetishizes physical manifestations of recorded media, I can't really appreciate jam bands in their purest form. Don't get me wrong, I absolutely love live shows as a rule, but I'm more of a $5 cover charge kind of person, and that's back in the old days when I could, you know, leave the house sometimes. I'm not going to fork over more than 100 bucks to listen to a band under any circumstances, and I'm certainly not paying good money to see a band that has not already impressed me in recorded form and many of these bands, particularly Fish, just don't record well. There are exceptions, and I actually end up liking those bands sometimes. I've already noted that I actually do like The Grateful Dead, and I will also cop to liking Blues Traveler's 4 album and The Spin Doctor's pocketful of Kryptonite quite a lot. They are just fun pop rock albums, and they did a lot to popularize the jam genre beyond just the groupies. But they were somewhat unique in this, and the contradiction of being popular recording artists from a touring genre focused on improvisational virtuosity did contribute to both bands' career difficulties. Getting back to the formation of jam as a genre, the process of a genre forming from one act is not entirely unique. Genres often form based on acts being inspired by one another and nicking bits of style until something new has come into being. Feel free to think about the Sex Pistols here but having it be this neat a line is pretty rare. In punk rock, the term punk rock had already been coined by 1977 and applied to a handful of bands in New York, several years before John Lydon put on his first bondage strap. The Sex Pistols helped shape the definition of punk rock and bring it to a popular audience, but they didn't really begin the genre the way that The Grateful Dead fan fiction has defined jam bands. This has imparted some unique problems to the genre of jam. To be in the scene, by definition a band is usually deeply involved in drug culture, focused on creating a fun party-like environment, and musically beholden to an idealized version of the more optimistic 1960s era of psychedelic rock. This has left them in some ways cut off from musical evolutions that happened since, even within the genre of psychedelic rock. You will never find an arty or hard jam band writing in the style of the 13th Floor Elevators or the MC5 and the average jam band seems to have blinders in relation to social dark sides, as the songs tend to avoid insolvable problems in favor of long solos that feature a guy demonstrating his prowess at tapping. Though many bands, particularly The Dead and Fish, actually deal very directly with issues of political corruption and murder, the wider genre, as is so often the case, fails miserably to live up to these more subtle messages of their forebears, and in any case, even in those songs, they stick to the major key unrelentingly. The way the influences on this genre just sort of stop in the 1960s is weird and annoying. There is a major paradox in a genre whose founder and proponents pride themselves on openness to multiple genres that simultaneously act as if popular music stopped in 1968. Blues, jazz, reggae, even fucking acapella make their marks in the jam lexicon, but punk, metal, electronica, hip-hop, new wave all might as well never have happened as far as jam bands are concerned. Except funk for some reason. They love them some funky bass lines, played on 19 stringed natural wood grain basses without frets. Um, but I digress. These things are intertwined with the very foundations of the genre. As the focus moved from the experimentation of the early dead into a focus on making shows into big fun parties, and then into big fun parties that sounded like the Grateful Dead, Musical innovation and an ability to deal with real-world problems just became less important than, you know, playing the drums along with the balloon that was popping around the dance floor. And this drives me nuts. People get angry, and they are allowed to get angry because the world is objectively difficult. Art is a great way to deal with it, and in my mind, the more expansive and curious you are consuming art, the better. Jam bands, by and large, do not do this, or at least don't show evidence of doing it in their music. And I realize I'm painting with a broad brush here. Now, all of the above dunking on jam bands creates something of a personal conundrum for me. As I discussed last time out, I am temperamentally against simply dismissing a genre. So, I really hate jam bands for being overly parochial. But for that same reason, I can't simply hate all jam bands without being a huge hypocrite, because that makes me overly parochial. So, between gritted teeth, let me say the following nice things about jam bands for the record. Fish and the Grateful Dead have some great moments, and I want to think that some of those that they inspired have talent in songwriting as well as musical circle jerks. Indeed, my faith has been rewarded on occasion. I mentioned Loose Traveler and The Spin Doctors a moment ago. Those two albums are just really a joy to listen to, like honestly. The Rustic Overtones are a pretty good ska-slash-jam-slash-hip-hop hybrid. Uh, yeah, it sounds weird, but it's it's actually pretty nice. Dispatch is a pretty famous jam band that I do not particularly care for, but during the 2004 election, they kind of broke up and their main songwriter formed what amounted to a jam-punk hybrid called State Radio, with the express intention of screaming about the Bush administration, something I deeply sympathized with. I actually saw them at my college's basement rock venue, supporting what was supposed to be a one-off EP, The Flag of the Shiners. Now, 2004 was a year of amazing music, but that EP is actually one of the most brilliant moments of that brilliant year. Even if their subsequent albums all sucked, that one EP would be worth finding and buying. It is one of the best records ever made, in my opinion. Happily, I can say that this little one-off project became a full-time thing for the members of the band, and they are still going, at least at some level. A good few of their subsequent albums are really good, and I would recommend anyone go check out State Radio. Arguably, they have moved from the nomadic hippie lifestyle into the nomadic crust punk lifestyle, which means they're not actually a jam band at all at this point, but given how many times I've had to listen to the general, I think I'm allowed to lump them in there. So, now that I have said all the nice things that I have to say about jam bands as a genre, let us turn our attention to Alan and the Alligators, our band for today. Alan and the Alligators are no state radio. They are definitely not a rustic overtones. They are not even a modern career trajectory spin doctors. To explain what they are, I will quote from their website. Quote, Alan and the Alligators is a three-piece Boston area band providing live entertainment since 1989 and is one of New England's best bands for any event. Audiences appreciate our versatility, full sound, and talent for playing popular cover songs and catchy, danceable original songs. Our exciting performance style and expert musicianship has made us a popular live act. We love to play. Our music is a mix of original and cover rock, funk, blues, R&B, dance, jazz, pop, jam band, folk music, and other assorted fun music. We can augment our typical three-piece instrumentation to be a four-, five-, or six-piece band by adding keyboards, second guitar, or saxophone. And quote. They go on to discuss the variety of bat mitzvahs and car shows they have played over the years. First of all, I shouldn't be mad at someone for making a living at playing music and still having fun. And hell, in the thank you section, one of them thanks his students, and that's pretty sweet. Uh, And Kind of reminds me of my old bass teacher, Mike Kovacs. Hey Mike, if you're out there, hope you're doing well. Not that he's a jam band artist. I respect Mike way too much to consider him a jam band artist. All that said, the quote is so lame. (laughs) It's like they are the jam band version of Murph and the Magic Tones of the Blues Brothers movie. They are the daddest dad band that ever dadded and moved out to the suburbs. The album came out in 2000, but it's pretty clear they used a stock photo of the band from the early 90s for the album photos. I mean, no one wears their hair like 80s hair metal bands anymore, right? Right? I wonder if they were like, oh, this is the last picture where we had hair Uh, anyway. (laughs) Flowing locks and bald spots aside. How does the album sound? It sounds like a jam band album. is isn't like life-changing, but it is feel-good music, and God knows I could use something to feel good about in my life. One thing that is weird is that I would not have pegged these guys as a Boston band, not even as a Boston area band. Their contact info says Concord, though so they list themselves as Boston slash Worcester. They sing everything with a rather noticeable southern twang that's all too common in mediocre jam bands. It's as if everyone within a certain generation decided that the only genuine American experience is in the South or West, and so anyone who wants to portray themselves as an everyman adopts a Southern drawl. Dude, you live in Concord. Forced accent aside, the technical musicianship is great, and that goes for the whole band. The first track prominently features a slap-and-pop funk bassline, and you know that definitely seems hard if you don't know what you're doing with a bass. Of course, I do know what I'm doing with a bass, and it's... You know, it's technically perfect, like Data playing the violin on that one next-gen episode. Technical perfection. Alan's vocal delivery is kind of a high-register male vocal, which again is typical for the genre and not something I have a particular problem with. He can definitely carry a tune, and the lyrics are playful and entirely inoffensive. There's a song about feeling awkward around a person you like. There's a song about cryptids. The lyrics generally rhyme. There are long breaks in the lyrics so that they can do long solos in blues scales that happen at predictable paces and display a remarkable level of technical competence. So they are objectively not bad. They play notes properly and put them in exactly the right places. But by that same token, they are not really good. There is nothing unexpected. The lyrics are delivered without any passion, and while it sounds like the musicians are having some fun, it's the kind of fun you have at a work function with a coworker you like. It's not an intense experience like tying one on with a college buddy you haven't seen in a while, or that feeling you got the first time you visited a planetarium. They are skilled musicians, and the songs are neither boring nor interesting. They are a jam band. So the good news is that if you are into jam bands, Alan and the Alligators is totally going to be that. And maybe that will make you happy. And good for you and good for them. They are musically very talented, and if you just want to chill out to some talented people noodling around, cool. Good for you. You will probably like this record. Maybe hire them for your next bar mitzvah. But my god, guys, between 1983 and 1988, the CIA was selling heavy weapons to the Iranian fundamentalists in order to buy drugs from Nicaraguan fascists and sell it to the inner city of the United States to justify a campaign to incarcerate and disenfranchise black people. They were actually caught doing this, and the perpetrators were tried on live TV, but they were let off because Ollie North was photogenic and said he did it for his country and he looked good in a uniform. That same administration is held up as a classically American administration that is beyond criticism by the current political establishment regardless of party. Everyone knows that fossil fuels are destroying our planet and that we have the technology to stop it, but no one wants to pay for it, so our kids are going to inherit a wasteland. Doesn't that piss you off? Can I get any kind of recognition that the world kind of sucks? No. How about this? You broke up with the person you're dating and you're sad about it. Can I get some emotion in a song about that? No. Well, uh... Want to get stoned and play Mario Kart? Sweet. Well, that's it for today. I don't know what the next one is going to be, but I will let you know when I know. As always, links in the show notes to some of the music I have referenced here. Be well, everyone. Don't dwell on things too much. And as always, I hope you find the answers you seek in your record collection. Hold up. What was that?